1: Does it always smell like this? How does the wind ever get
2: in here? Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers. And welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side, as always, in the command center. And circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer, Karen. And on this episode of Planet Eight. We're going to be taking a look at the sword and sorcery films from the definitive decade of the 1980s. Straight away, we're going to kick it up to the satellite. reconnaissance Officer Karen, what do you have for us this episode?
0: Well, Larry, you know, the 1980s, was an interesting time, especially if you were alive during the nineteen eighties, like we all were. Oh yes. (laughs) Uh, And one of the things that is notable about the eighties is this flood of sword and sorcery films. So when we're talking sword and sorcery, you gotta have two things in the movie. You gotta have a sword (laughs) (laughs) well, you gotta have some kind of sword play, some sort of medieval type weapons flying around. And you gotta have mm-hmm. some sort of sorcery, some sort of magic. It could be um, a wizard, a spellcaster, or it could be magic in the form of enchantments, you know, enchanted uh, land or, or or space or whatever. So
1: a mage or a or or mage, there you go.
0: You know, it could be almost anything that's, you know, otherworldly and magical. So these sword and sorcery films uh, just seem to be popping out of the woodwork in the 80s. And, you know, there could be a lot of reasons for this. I I kind of think the main push was that uh, Dungeons and Dragons came along in the late 70s at least the the more popular form of it, the one that a lot of us uh, first encountered. I know as a kid when I was, you know, 12 or so, that really cool box set, the basic set, um, started popping up in stores. And then, you know, you got Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, and it kind of became a taboo thing. And so then, you know, you wanted to play it even more. Uh, So that was really popular for a while. You still had um, the popularity of, like, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, which had started in the really getting popular with like the youth culture in the 60s and and was really popular in the 70s. Like you would see all the Hildebrandt calendars uh, in the bookstores when you would go in. And then that also led to like an increased popularity in fantasy art as a whole. You know, Boris Vallejo was really popular. And of course, Frazetta was always popular. And so I just think it was like this combination of things that sort of pushed these sword and sorcery movies, um, you know, into production and and just they were just like being cranked out in the 80s. You know, you were kind of tripping over them if you were going to the movie theater. Um, And I would say, by and large, like most things in life, 90 percent of them were crap.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And welcome to our episode.
0: (laughs) And welcome to our episode, kids. You know what you're getting into when you come to Planet 8? Um, but, you know, there were some that were actually either really, really good or at least really, really interesting. And so, you know, we're going to talk about those ones that, you know, we found interesting or enjoyable or at least, you know, worth a few hours of our time. And uh, with that, I'll segue into my top pick today, which is Excalibur from 1981. Mm. Um uh, interestingly, an R-rated film. A number of these sword and sorcery films were R-rated.
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, this was um, directed by John Borman, who I already uh, have great uh, uh, esteem for because he made the film Zardoz, which you know, I I hold in
3: <laughs> as Zardoz, great, Zardoz. great
0: great works of, of, of art of our time. Um, so John Borman had wanted to do a film, a live-action film version of Lord of the Rings for many years. Um, Even before Zardoz, when he was working on that, he had been making designs for Lord of the Rings. He had, you know, acquired rights. He had talked to Tolkien. And um, unfortunately... And it's a long story. Uh, He had he he wound up losing or the studio he was working with wound up losing the rights. And so his attention shifted to the story of King Arthur. And so that is how we wound up with Excalibur. And I, I mean, I absolutely love this movie. It's like in my top 10 of all movies, not just sword and sorcery or fantasy films. Um, the way it is put together, the production values, the uh, the way it's filmed. I mean, it's like you have this amazing lighting uh, on on the both outdoor and indoor sets. Um, that gives it a really dreamlike quality, you, you know. There's this, um, like, green lighting, almost like an emerald lighting that appears on, like, Excalibur and the knights uh, at the beginning that shows, like, they're, you know, something uh, something good is shining on them, you know, that they're doing right and everything. But then when, after uh, Lancelot and Guinevere, you know, have their affair and Arthur uh, loses Excalibur, then the land starts to go bad and... Arthur fails in health, and you know the, the light diminishes. It's it's really interesting how they they kind of show all this. Um, just through the way they film stuff. So I really, it's a very visually interesting um, film. And, of course, the costumes with the armor and stuff are really fantastic. Um, you got some great actors uh, in these roles. Nicole Williamson as Merlin is Uh probably the best thing in the movie. Helen Mirren is in there as Morgan Le Fay. So really young Liam Neeson is one of the knights. Patrick Stewart is Guinevere's father. Um, there's just a lot of, of really uh, well-executed sequences, you know, well-acted, and the soundtrack is really fantastic too. Um, Trevor Jones, this was his first feature film as the uh, composer, and he had to work around. There was an insistence by Borman of putting in certain uh, classical music like Wagner. And so he had to find a way to make his music match up with these um, pieces of classical music in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you, I mean, I've got the soundtrack and I listen to it all the time. It's, it's a really, really great soundtrack as far as uh, the kind of um, mood that he created for the film. You know, it, it it lends a lot to Mm -hmm. the movie. Um, I don't know what you guys think about Excalibur.
2: Uh, it's one of my favorites as well. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to see it this go around, but I've seen it numerous times. I, I have, you know, I own a DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to note that Liam Neeson, these actors were very young.
1: Yeah.
0: Um,
2: you know, obviously it was back in the 80s. They weren't as established as they are now.
0: Right. I think this was uh, like his third movie. It was oh, he had he hadn't done very much.
2: Yeah. And and, uh, I loved uh, the the way that they utilized Merlin in this. You know, I wish there was more, Um, you know, and just uh, I don't want to say that some of the actors overacted, but some of the actors overacted. Oh,
1: yeah. (laughs) Well, it's it's. it worked. It's, right.
2: It, you know, the, the story that they were telling, it, it, it's almost like operatic. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, this is the story of Excalibur and, and Merlin and Arthur and Guinevere and Lancelot, you know, um, Uther Pendragon. I mean, that whole scene where, you know, he uses Merlin to, to you know, basically um, raped, uh, you know, Arthur's mother, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, Merlin casting a spell so that she thought he was her, her husband or, you know, and, and that scene of, of him riding across the bridge and that kind of like, it, it wasn't spooky music, but yeah, it was the, the music was very, very uh, well placed throughout the film. I didn't know that about um, trying to match it up with like Wagner and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen, that's interesting.
1: Well,
0: and that whole sequence where merlin does that i i think really you know right from the beginning of the movie it it tells you that you know merlin isn't really human he's part of something some other other otherworldly race Mm -hmm. you know and they make the point later on that you know christianity is coming and or is there and his his kind is disappearing
2: yeah his his time is is finished um you know, some of the film you, you mentioned, it was rated R. It was kind of uh, hard to watch. Um, you know, sometimes. Uh, well, you know, it was the 80s, but it, it's interesting. A lot of the stuff that I've seen on uh, later movies are actually series. Um, oh, what was the one on HBO with uh, Khaleesi and uh, uh, Game of Thrones? A Game of Thrones.
3: <laughs> Somebody couldn't remember kind of Game of Thrones. Me.
2: Yeah, <laughs> to this day, one of my favorite lines from Excalibur is, "You know, Arthur's like Merlin, Merlin, what, what are you, what, what are you, Merlin?" And I'm paraphrasing here, but Merlin lifts up his arms, and there's like lightning and thunder. At first, he says, "A dream to some." Cue lightning and thunder. A nightmare to others. <laughs> I always tell everybody if I ever win the, the lottery I would be a dream to some and a nightmare to <laughs> but uh interestingly enough I have a friend who uh cannot stand um not a music, but like the um, music from The Omen, music from Excalibur, where it's like a choir It just freaks her out so she can't watch films when they're like you know, doing that little uh, staccato or, you know, soprano or whatever uh, music and I'm like, that that's a shame because Excalibur is such a fun movie to watch.
0: That's an odd phobia it, it to is. have. It is. I'll, and you're I'll, talking
2: to a man that has a very odd <laughs> phobia himself, which I oh, will not divulge because Superman never lets anyone know that kryptonite is his kryptonite. So,
0: anyway. you, you you reminded me, though, when you were talking about the, um, the rape scene and some of the violence. Uh, I actually yeah. saw this. In the theater because I and I wasn't old enough to see an R-rated movie yet. And my but my older brother would often take me, you know, to see. There was like a handful of movies I got to see. This, and Alien, and I think Animal House. <laughs> I forget, There was <laughs> a few things I got to see. And yeah, when that scene occurred with the, uh, you know, with Igraine and and uh, Uther in disguise, and he's in full armor, and he's like. Jumping on top of her. I remember just sitting there being like, what?
3: <laughs> <It was laughs> exactly.
0: Very shocking.
3: Uh, it's silly it's, uh, English canigots. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember seeing it. it. I actually saw it in the (laughs) drive-in back when it came out, and I haven't seen it since, so it's all just a dim memory in the back of my mind. But a friend of mine Mm -hmm. at the time was really into knights and armor and all that kind of stuff, so I went to see it with him. And, you know, I remember enjoying it. Maybe not enough to see it ever again, but (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I'll have to revisit it, but... You know, for me, for me, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is so ingrained in my mind that I remember watching scenes in Excalibur and just laughing because I just kept (laughs) thinking about Holy Grail the whole time.
0: There, there are a few moments I have to admit where I thought about Monty Python and the Holy Grail because, especially this last time when I watched it again, when the uh, the knights are questing for the uh, the Grail and you know all the. the people are suffering and they're pleading for, you know, help. And I'm just waiting for, you know, somebody to yell out, you know, I'm being oppressed or whatever. <laughs> somebody to like.
3: Mm, bring start. us a shrubbery.
0: Yeah. So I could see that. I could see that.
3: So, yeah, I mean, I would be very apt to watch Holy Grail once again. But I don't know. Maybe um, I'll have to, like say, maybe I'll have to revisit Excalibur at some point. If for I, nothing I, I, else, it, it, just
0: visually, it's it's interesting to watch.
3: Well, I'll watch yeah. it. I'll watch it and, with the sound down, and I'll put Holy Grail on. So I'll listen uh, to Holy uh, Grail uh, and watch Excalibur. Okay.
2: What, what I appreciate with with these movies that we're going to be talking about today, um, <clears throat> this is pre CGI. Mm -hmm. And so it's very interesting how they tried to accomplish um, some of the scenes. I mean, in Excalibur, you know, when he he the the sword comes out of the the lake, you know, when he throws the sword into the lake, the lady of the lake. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are kind of ingrained in my mind. And I think, you know, there's a lot of flashy, I I think, uh, you know, our kitten here and Gizmo would love that movie because of all the little sparkly things in the lake and the, (laughs) the sword. But you know, it was the music. It was—you know—there were so many moments where the music is just so uh, integral to this to this movie, to most films, to be fair. But it's it's really memorable um, to a lot of these scenes. So if you guys haven't seen it, like Chief Chief Engineer Bob, do yourselves a favor. I'm not sure if it's streaming or if you—you know—it's probably five bucks up walmart you know in the bin or something like that but
3: (laughs) well i got okay i gotta ask a question about the soundtrack since this is all just hazy memories in the back of my mind um is a soundtrack orchestral, or is it yes. like an 80s synthesizer type no, thing?
0: it's orchestral.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's very classical, and it's just very stirring, because it's Wagner and a bunch of other classical composers that I don't know. <laughs> but if you heard the music, you would probably recognize it, because it's used in a lot of films and ads and other things, and it's all... You know, very famous music, but the way it's used in the film uh, is just really brilliant.
3: Yeah, yeah, uh, that's, my, that's my the, problem the with the 80s films. A lot of them is just the fact that, especially if they were more low budget, then you get the, you know, really cheap. Well, what probably sounded amazing back then, but now sounds like cheap synthesizer type keyboard stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. And there are some films like that, but yeah, Excalibur's uh, one of the exceptions. What was the Knight's Tale? I think it came out in two thousand or
0: oh, it was 20, Heath Ledger? Yeah, Knight's nice Tale. And, and
2: it was like rock and roll music, and I oh, man, I just couldn't get into it.
0: <laughs> well, I I it thought went. it was a cute movie for what it was trying to do.
2: Yeah, yeah. But but Chief, you're you're safe. No uh no synthesizers uh. Uh, in this film
3: very, good, very
2: uh, good speaking of cheap uh why did not you segue us into uh your pick uh well one of your one of your picks bob
3: well i had two picks one i kind of regret the other i'm glad i watched <laughs> let, uh, let us start off with a regret and that would be highlander and i Ooh. i chose it because i mean it's a cult film and yeah, everybody always speaks fondly of Highlander, and I hadn't seen it since you know since I saw Excalibur, probably. So I decided <laughs> to watch it, and I did a little little research on it, um, as little as I could get away with. Uh, <laughs> Highlander <laughs> came now, out. Before
2: you get into the research, Bob, did you see this at the drive-in
3: back in the day? I think I saw it in the theater.
2: Okay, surprising,
3: <laughs> but, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it came out in '86 british film actually um gary wyden who wrote the script he actually wrote the script for a class assignment in a screenwriting class at ucla (laughs) and his teacher was like this is really good you should go get an agent so he uh went and got an agent and actually sold the script for like two hundred (laughs) thousand dollars wow kids let that be a lesson to you always do your homework (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what could come out of it? But uh, the movie stars Chris Christopher Lambert, and uh, his previous role was in, anyone remember? Greystoke. Greystoke, the legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the director, Russell Mulcahy, uh, discovered him from there. Basically saw a still, he didn't even see the movie, he saw a still of Lambert as Tarzan and said, who is this guy? I want him for my movie. And uh, then you've got, of course, Sean Connery in the movie Bond, James Bond,
0: Egyptian Spanish.
3: Man. A, yeah, an Egyptian Spaniard. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I think it's funny because I was reading today that uh, that Connery worked with a a voice coach for four hours a day working on his quote Spanish accent. <laughs> And anytime Sean Connery's in a movie, whether he's a Russian submarine commander or, you know, an immortal Spaniard, he always talks like Sean Connery. So, I think that's probably why they changed and made him Egyptian because he really does not sound like a like a Spaniard.
2: So, he does have he- that
3: look. He's got the cool D'Artagnan mustache and beard and that. But, um, yeah, he's still, as always, Sean Connery.
0: I think he and his voice coach were probably in the hotel bar most
1: of
3: the time. Could be. And then Lambert's main enemy, the Kurgan, was mm-hmm. played by Clancy Brown. Hmm.
1: Very, very good.
3: Now, Clancy Brown had as a, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you could call it an amazing uh, career. But he's done movie acting. TV acting, he was in movies like, uh, of course, he was in Highlander. He was also in Shawshank Redemption. He was in Starship <laughs> Troopers. He was in uh, Promising Young Woman. He was in, let's see, what else? See, I've got a little list here. Where's his Where career filmography? Here we go. Uh, Bad Boys. He was in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth <laughs> Dimension. That was like just before uh, Highlander. Um mm. He played the Frankenstein monster in The Bride 1985. He oh was, that's uh, right yeah. with
2: Jennifer Beal.
3: He was in Pet Cemetery 2. He was also uh <laughs> He also played a role of a uh gangster that was being uh, pummeled by Flubber in the movie Flubber. <laughs> And uh, God, let's see. Oh, well, TV though, man. He was oh, he was in, uh, going back to movies. He was in Cowboys and Aliens, which we were kind of talking about before we started this episode. He's in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, television, he was in Earth 2. Uh, he was in uh, Star Trek Enterprise, ER, quite a few things. Yeah. But he's really well known for voiceover acting. And uh his most famous role in voice acting is Lex Mr. Luther. Krabs from Spongebob Squarepants.
0: What? Who watches that
3: show? Just I'm children.
0: Telling I'm telling you. I'm thinking it's Lex Luthor.
3: But he did voices on Jackie Chan Adventures. He did uh, Super Robot Monkey Team Hyperforce. Huh? huh? I, don't, I don't even remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Little Mermaid 2, he did voices for that. He did uh, Thundercat, he was... Groon, the Destroyer, in Thundercats, hmm. and Agent Silas on in Transformers Prime. He was also uh, Savage Oppress, Count Dooku's oh. uh, apprentice, yeah. and Darth Maul's brother, and Star Wars Clone Wars. There you go. Got your Clone Wars in there, and there you uh, go. quite a oh, few comes things. Comes back to Star Wars. Lex Luthor uh, and <laughs> Superman the Animated Series. I mean, I could go on and on. There's, like, tons of roles. You know, he played Mr. Freeze and Bane in the Batman cartoon. But, uh, yeah, so he's had quite a career, not just Highlander. But in Highlander, he actually made a pretty amazing foe, I do have to admit. He Originally, I think in the script, they said he was supposed to be wearing, like, a suit and a bowler. But in the movie, he ended up, like, being a punk rock motorcycle-looking guy. He was mm. pretty
0: scary-looking.
3: Yeah, no, definitely. He was. But, uh, yeah, you know, and that kind of brings me as far as, you know, having a foe, you've got to have sword fights, right? And that was kind of probably my biggest disappointment of the film. Because sword fight, I've seen better sword fights in, like, 1960s Japanese samurai films or uh, something like that than than this. I mean...
0: Well, you know. it's funny, too, because, like, the uh, sword trainer... That did like Star Wars and a bunch of other films. Bob Anderson was the guy who trained these guys. But yeah, Yeah, I I read, I guess he was,
3: I guess he was a stunt double for uh, David Prowse as Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. I think, I think in Empire, but yeah, I, you know, I don't know what it was. I mean, the whole film is—it's got fast pacing. It has quick cuts, and uh, they just—they mentioned that uh, that the director really kind of uh, was a Russell McKay. Kind of patterned his directorial style after music videos, which were big back then.
0: Well, he had done a bunch Mm. of music videos, so I think, yeah, that's what he was used to.
3: Yeah, but uh, I don't know for some, you know, quick cuts and action and everything, and then the sword fights just kind of you know went by the wayside. the other interesting thing about the movie is it's basically told in flashbacks. You know, you start a lot of it, a lot, a lot of flashbacks. The flashbacks were probably more interesting than the modern day stuff. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, Highlander kind of kind of is what it is. I made it through. I I probably felt immortal because it seemed like a long time while that movie was going on. Right. What's that?
2: Uh, they, they live for a long time, and, and the only way they die is once they are decapitated in one of the fights.
3: Right. And that's, yeah, the that's yeah, so, story Close. probably basically follows all these immortals that uh, are battling each other. To see who the last man standing will be, and uh, yeah. yeah, they have to decapitate each other, and then they they suck in all this energy from their foe, they absorb, and uh, yeah, it is, like I say, kind of is what it is. One of the
2: things I thought was interesting is you know because they live forever, they form these friendships, um, and, and you know, you, you, okay, well, I have to battle you now, you know, even though we're good friends, may the best you know person live because you know there can be only one <laughs> and then cue the cue of uh, the queen music.
3: Yeah. yeah, Queen music throughout. So if you like Ooh. Freddie Mercury, then you've got that going for you in this movie. But yeah, if yeah. you don't, then give it a pass.
2: The other thing I thought that was interesting is uh, not right away, but like 10 years later, they made a, a series. Uh, you know, they had a uh, Xena, Warrior Princess series, they had the Hercules series, and then they came out with the Highlander series, which, admittedly, I never watched. But
3: yeah, they had uh, yeah they had a few sequel movies, and they had the series. But
2: yeah this this was this bugged me kind of like the Matrix. It's like after the first film, you don't need a second or third movie. Mm-hmm. You're the one, you, you know. It's like, but you know,
3: anyway. or a TV series, or whatever. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's one of those things where it's like they start with the kernel of a good idea, yeah. but then it's just poorly executed, right? It's just like this craptastic execution. And then, yeah, they went on to make these movies, but like the, the next movie, and I can't remember the title of, I, I forget which, what it was, but then they totally rewrote everything and said, oh no, they're not immortals born on Earth, they're aliens.
1: It's like, what?
0: <laughs> Wait, you just told us this whole thing, and then how are all the other immortals alive and no, they're aliens and then i think when they did the series because i remember watching the highlander series and that was duncan mcleod then i think they went back to the no they're they're born on earth and they live a really long time and there can be only one and it's like man these people don't know what they're doing with their their property you know they're just kind of floundering all over the place with it but i think you're Speaking right. I of, uh, think. Oh, I was just going to say, I think the flashbacks are more interesting to see what they did in the past, how they lived their lives. Like there was the one scene in Highlander that I actually liked where uh, McLeod was in, uh, I well, I assumed it was America. Maybe it was Europe, but it was like the 17th century and he was going to duel this guy with pistols, but he was drunk. Yes. And the guy just kept <laughs> shooting him over and over again and at first he was I, oh, I guess he was stabbing first they him with a sword. swords. yeah, yeah. yeah. And he st- stabbed him over and over again and then he went to shoot him and then finally McCloud's just like oh, your your wife is great or whatever he, he apologized and then he wanders off <laughs>
3: Yeah, but there's an extra scene supposedly in the European cut, which is actually the cut I saw on, I think it was on uh, Netflix or whatever. Oh no, it was on Amazon Prime. I guess it was a British cut because in the British cut, you know, he's stabbing him with a sword over and over and over and then his assistant. Comes running up with guns and gives him guns. You know, tells him to you know shoot him, shoot him. And he like points a gun at his assistant. and The assistant starts running and he shoots him in the back.
1: Oh,
0: that's the one I saw too. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah. that's a different. That's not the theatrical version or the U.S. theatrical version.
3: Yeah, I mean there, there's. I think they said there's eight minutes cut out of the U.S. version, mm. but all the, all the mm. scenes they mentioned were all in the version that's on Amazon Prime. So I guess uh, I guess we get the the full British version on. Uh, on Amazon. Man. Indeed.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting to watch. And, and also just because like of Christopher Lambert's excruciating accent. Um,
3: yeah, <laughs> he, had, he had a voice coach <laughs> as well. Yeah. Both of those voice coaches. They those, they voice, coaches, to fire those yeah. voice coaches. Well, should we, should we segue away from Highlander? Sure. Sure. What, I what, think what we, do we got?
2: should do that right now.
3: What Bob. do you got, Commander?
2: <laughs> Sorry, I yeah. happen to be an extra crab fan.
3: <laughs> what do
0: you what do you got for us, Larry?
2: Well, you know, I'm gonna go over mine as Mr. Crab. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I had the dubious distinction and pleasure of watching Crawl. Oh now, this was uh, it, and it's funny. I hadn't seen it for a while and it wasn't available online. And this is the dedication that your Planet 8 crew has for you kids. I can't tell you how many times we dive deep in those bargain bins at the store, <laughs> utilize online uh, vendors to purchase. Uh, not a DVD, friends. I I bought the Blu-ray of Krull.
3: Ooh, holy free holies. <laughs> this gem is from
2: 1983. Um, it, it was listed as a swashbuckler film, but, um, you know, there was more science fantasy to this than,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, uh, well, there was some sorcery actually the, but anyway, the, it was directed by Peter Yates and I was like, Peter Yates, God, that sounds familiar. He directed the deep. My father loved that movie. It was Jacqueline Bessette, <laughs> Nick Nolte, uh, I remember he took me to the movies to go see it with him. Um, but anyway. He, he,
3: li- he liked the Jacqueline Bassett t-shirt scene, right?
2: He, my father was a huge Jacqueline Bessette fan. So.
3: <laughs> the underwater <laughs> <don't know>. t-shirt <laughs> scene. <laughs> but I digress.
2: <laughs> yeah. So do I. <laughs> but the the, the uh, movie is about a journey of uh, Prince Col Colwyn. Mm-hmm. And he has a group of outlaws on the planet Kroll. And so, you know, when I when I watched this originally, it was at the parkway out here uh, on Park Boulevard. I thought Kroll, you know, like Conan. Conan is the name of, you know, the actor, the character. I thought the guy's name was Krull. No, <laughs> Krull. <laughs> he is, is the planet. And uh, he's tasked to save the princess, the future queen princess, Lyssa. From the the bad guy in this is called the Beast. And if you look at the poster, you kind of see an outline of, of the Beast's face. Um, I'm not sure who did the special effects in this, but one of the criticisms I will have is is the Beast didn't really um, look that great to me in, in the movie. But um, this movie also had Liam Neeson. A, long, a young Liam Neeson in it.
3: He really gets around.
2: Hey, yeah, let me tell you, he's paid his dues.
3: <laughs> he has a
0: particular set of skills.
2: He, well, you know, <laughs> hey, <laughs> <laughs> I should say Kenneth Marshall uh, was Prince Colwyn. Hey, um, I'm not. Sure. He,
0: you yeah. know, you know what other uh, big. Sci-fi franchise he was later, much later involved in. Please
2: tell me, because I I didn't do my research like I should have. What else was
0: he? It shocked the hell out of me when I made this connection a few years ago. He was in Star Trek DS9 as a recurring character. He was Eddington. (gasps) But without all those curly locks.
2: You're right. Wow. My mind is blown. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm going to have to go back. Oh, my God. He's Eddington.
0: Yeah. The voice. Wow. The voice gives it away. But, yeah, he didn't have all his long blonde hair for that sure. That
2: is hilarious. Sorry, listeners, for uh, losing my mind there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, It's a fun movie. You know, he goes to look for um. it's it's a basically it's a weapon. Um. God, what is the thing called the the, the glaive? Uh, the glaive—that's what it is. And he he goes on a quest to find the glaive, and it it's like this—it's uh, like a throwing star almost, but it's huge, and it's it's in this cave, and there's like a a. It looks they were trying to I think make it look like it was sitting in some lava, and. Um, you know, there's fire around it. And, and he didn't have like an enchantment or, or, you know, glove. He just reaches in there and grabs it. But maybe he's the chosen one. So he was able to like, you know, grab it and use it and toss it around. It's almost like this like deadly boomerang thing. But anyway, Colin goes with his merry band of uh, uh, followers and they, they go to rescue the, uh, the princess, future queen, future wife. There's a uh, in the beginning of the film, there's this. Um, it's like a prophecy that the, the narrator's going on about, you know, there's a girl and, you know, she's going to become a queen and there's this prince and they're going to rule the galaxy and, and all that stuff. So he, he knows what his quest is. We know what his quest is. And uh, he has uh, a wizard. Um, there's a cyclops that they run into. And, you know, it was the 80s. So. They did the best they could for the for the Cyclops, <laughs> <laughs> um, effects-wise. But a great actor. I should have wrote down his name. Um, no, I, I, I don't have. Mustn't have been that listeners. great. <laughs> What's that, Bob?
3: Mustn't have been that great. <laughs>
2: Which, uh, <laughs> so
3: great, I can't remember his name.
2: Yeah. Uh, um, uh, so the group uh, the the way to get to the fortress uh, is to go through this like black forest or or cursed forest but the forest like changes kind of like in Shang-Chi now that I think about how interesting anyway the group travels to a swamp that cannot be crossed uh, because the beast has like cursed it um but they manage to get across. They lose the wizard. Uh, there, there's this, uh, I forget what they call them now. Uh, oh, it's not an orc. They call them uh, slayers. Slayers are like nice. the soldiers for uh, for the uh, beast. And um, they, it was, uh, what was cool is they they get a hold of these Clydesdale horses, but they called them fire mares. And <laughs> one of the cool effects is when they're riding the fire mares and they start like really galloping, there's these flames that build up around their, their feet. And it's one of the hokiest (laughs) parts of the film for me. Cyclops. (laughs) But you know, I appreciate what they tried to do with the technology and the budget that they had. Um, So they're, they're riding the magical fire mares to reach the black forest before it teleports again. Um, they they survive. They get through Colwyn and uh, some of his uh, followers. His group get trapped inside a large dome, and he attempts to open a a hole in the dome with the glaive. Um, and, you know, because they can't find a passageway to get through it. And uh, it, the three guys that are with them, though, they fall through an opening and are trapped between like th- these walls are like slowly closing in on them. It kind of reminded me of the. Star Wars uh, trash compactor. Mm -hmm. But this had huge spikes. Um, Anyway, long story short, they get to the uh, beast. He's able to figure out how to defeat him. He gets the queen. Well, the princess becomes a queen. And uh, they just kind of walk away into the sunset. It it was like a really (coughs) abrupt ending to me. like, (laughs) like, like, Like... but what happened to the glaive? What happened to maybe they thought they were going to do a second film, but uh, it never happened uh, for, for whatever reason of note. Uh, we've been talking about music and soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Um, the soundtrack was done by um, James Horner from star trek 2 and i i text karen when i was watching the movie there's this scene with this uh spider creature and um you know they're about to defeat the spider creature and they play like the the music from the wrath of khan where like the <laughs> reliant is almost going to hit the enterprise da-dee, da-dee. like I, I was like karen you know <laughs> so
3: anyway well, that, a lot of horner stuff sounds similar i mean he also did aliens I I was going
2: to say, if you go into Aliens, it's the same deal, so.
0: He likes that trumpeting horn, but it was funny because, yeah, you texted me and then a few days later I watched it and I was like, it sounds exactly like Wrath of Khan. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, the it was. Funny a, thing is, it, it's a good won. score. I mean, it's it's a really, you know, it's one of the best things about the movie. I mean, I and I like Kroll. I liked it when I was a kid and it's really cheesy. I mean, it's so cheesy, but it's a fun little movie. And, you know, it's like a typical like, oh, we got to get this team together and everybody on the team does something different. And, you know,
2: it is cheesy. And I agree with you. The music kind of elevates it a couple yes. notches um the acting was okay to me um i don't know i it, it, it's a fond film i i now own the blu-ray version of it and, and it's funny when the blu-ray came in my wife looks at the uh, cover and she's like oh yeah you could watch that one
3: by yourself <laughs> see now i've never it seen crawl like, it's a great film i've never seen crawl however Bob. after larry's detailed plot synopsis I kind of feel like I don't need to (laughs) I know what it's all about now you know
2: what's funny you know what basically those fire mares I could you know you guys know me I couldn't help but think you know while they're hoofing away and and running away what if one of them farted and they'd get like a turbo charge you know it would ignite the gas and (laughs) but anyway yes that that is a crawl um you know if you're going to get a no prize listeners if, if you put on Facebook or Twitter the name of the actor who played the Cyclops I, well, I feel kind of bad now because I, I did like I that go to Wikipedia
0: and find
1: that I mean come on yeah. man well we'll, well we'll
2: let the listeners interact with us a little and, and uh, maybe we'll watch the movie too <laughs>
3: well, well should, yeah. should I go on so, to my next one since you guys kind of have two that will blend together
2: Sure. I, I think so. Let's let's go back to Chief Engineer Bob. Uh, what do you got there, buddy?
3: Well, I got to watch a movie that I really actually enjoyed, <laughs> and that would be Dragon <laughs> Slayer. Oh, oh yeah. A, probably because I'm all about the monster thing, but um, yeah, the Dragon Slayer you know, kind of follows a young apprentice after the wizard is killed. And the young apprentice needs to go to and basically save the village from the dragon, which he thinks he's done. He causes this huge landslide, and it's like, ah, he's dead. He's gone. And when they're all celebrating, he comes back. And then he has to up his game to uh, go up against the the dragon. But the dragon in this thing is pretty amazing. Oh, I yeah. gotta say. But... Yeah, I was kind of looking into some stuff. Now, this was actually a Disney-Paramount co-production. And Disney handled the international distribution of the movie. And Paramount did the domestic release of the movie. Now, mm-hmm. do you guys know what movie previously, the only other movie that Disney and Paramount combined on?
2: Before Dragon Slayer?
3: Yes. Mm. Our it planet, our, one of our Walker. planet eight favorites, Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> The Robin, movie. the Robin Williams Popeye movie. That was a Disney uh, Paramount co-production. Huh. And then they went on to do Dragon Slayer. So two, well, way into yeah. two movies that are probably on the total opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, people, when this came out, people were expecting like a Disney family fair kind of movie. But the movie was rated PG because of violence. And also brief nudity, because mm-hmm. we've got the one character played by Caitlin Clark, who at the beginning is a boy. And mainly her father disguised her as a boy because there's a lottery to select female virgins to basically sacrifice to the dragon so uh you know there's a scene where she's swimming in the lake and the young apprentice sees her dives in the water and gets a total shock when he sees what's underneath (laughs) but from that point on she uh reveals herself as a girl and enrolls herself in the lottery but uh going back to the effects and the dragon uh the effects are by ilm and the dragon was basically done by Phil Tippett. Uh-huh. Now Tippett had done go motion creatures for *Empire Strikes Back*, and also for *Star Wars*, he did the chess set. But go motion was kind of—it was a combination of animation and kind of rod puppet work. But they all—he also did like a motion blur between frames, which made it smoother than your normal kind of jerky uh, model animation. But the, uh, the dragon itself uh, was designed by David Burnett. And then the design was finalized by Phil Tippett. And then Phil sculpted a reference model, which Danny Lee and his crew uh, constructed into various models, including a 16-foot head and neck, a 20-foot huh. tail, full-size claws, and 30-foot wide wing assembly. Now, wow. that's the beauty of the golden age of effects before CGI. I mean, you want a big dragon? You got to make a big dragon. But (laughs) they had like 16 different models of this dragon. And then they actually used, and this is is definitely the beauty of pre-CG, they used real World War II (laughs) flamethrowers for the dragon's breath. Think about that. But yeah, there were like 16 yeah. models. And I was talking to Planet 8 friend and, and contributor Webster Callcord today, since he works for Tippett Studios. And I said, hey, is there anything at Tippett Studios left from Dragon Slayer? And he said, yes. Chris Whalas made a four-foot head and neck puppet. That was used and mm-hmm. it has like bladders and everything else. So I could you know make different expressions, wire work and bladders. That's still a tippet studios as well as the go motion puppet that was used for the scenes where the dragon's crawling, where he's crawling out of the hillside and he's crawling oh. across the land. Um, so yeah, those are still there. He says Phil's thinking of selling those. So if you have like big buku bucks, <laughs> you could own the dragon from from Dragon Slayer. And uh, let's see what else can what else can I say about Dragon Slayer? I mean, the effects are excellent. The flying scenes are kind of you know. Sometimes are good, sometimes not so good. Do you guys remember yeah. do you guys remember the name of the dragon? Yeah what is it
0: vermithrax pejorative. There you go. Such a great name
3: yeah. that,
0: that's still my favorite dragon and I don't I mean like even all the stuff that's come since the Hobbit movies and I, gosh I don't know what else that's still my favorite dragon of all movies.
3: Well Guillermo del Toro said the same thing. I'm in good company. He says you cannot you, are. you cannot beat the dragon from Dragon Slayer.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a fan of Peach Dragon, so I sorry. <laughs> <all right. laughs>
3: well, you
0: know they were nominated for best visual mm-hmm, effects, mm-hmm. but they lost to Raiders of the Lost Star.
3: They're also nominated, speaking of scores, Nominated for the best musical score, which was done by Alex North. But they lost to a big, dun, 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 a big bloated synthesizer soundtrack, Chariots of Fire. Yep. So speaking of 80s sound soundtracks with keyboards and synthesizers. Synthesize. <laughs> so yeah, no, that was Dragon Slayer. Dragon Slayer, like I say, it was uh, a lot of fun. I hadn't seen it in years. So it was a lot of fun to watch. And I'll probably watch it again because Lieutenant Debbie was kind of disappointed I watched it without her. So (laughs) I said I would watch it one more time.
0: It's a really good one. I, I remember seeing that as a kid and, you know, seeing the dragon, especially those scenes where like Galen goes underground into the caves and there's all that you know bubbling water and the gasses and stuff and he's like standing on a rock and then the dragon's head comes up slowly behind him it yeah. was it was really it was scary and exciting and and then the other thing about it is he isn't even really the hero at the end because his Sir, his mentor
3: Sir Ralph the, Richardson
0: right he uh, sort of uh, comes back as like a I don't know if he's sort of a spirit or sort of uh, transformed or whatever well he's like
3: and a he, spirit but then he kind of takes he takes form so he's like right. he's back but yeah he basically he, turns himself into a bomb blows up, blows up the dragon. <laughs> spoiler alert but no I mean I'm really kind of disappointed that Ralph Richardson is no longer with us because if I ever did a story of my life that's who I would want to narrate it <laughs> Just his voice and his delivery is just, ah, it's amazing. That and in Time Bandits, where he plays the supreme being. Just, <laughs> just perfect.
0: Well, maybe, you know, we're getting more advanced AI. Maybe it can just recreate his his voice for you.
3: Yeah, well, they'd have to get the inflection and everything just right. But but no, Ralph Richardson, Ooh, Ralph you, Richardson, uh... was great. You know, in, in both these movies that I watched... So Ralph Richardson was a standout in Dragon Slayer, and the standout actually in Highlander was Alan North, North. who played the detective (laughs) and also played a detective in Police Squad. And in Highlander, his name is Frank. Leslie Nielsen was Frank Drebin in the Police Squad movie. But yeah, it was like the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm like, he acts it's like his same, Like they pulled the character out of Police Squad and put him in Highlander because he's playing basically oh, the same fine. character. He's dressed the same, acts the same. Of course, he is the same. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a standout for that movie.
2: I, uh, I think I'd have Clancy Brown narrate the story of my life.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Or, or, or. Yo, before we leave, um, Dragon Slayer, did you catch uh, Ian McKellen, um, oh. the Emperor from uh, Ma- Empire Strikes Back? In-
3: Ian McDermott.
2: Ian McDermott, sorry.
3: Yeah, yeah. that was, was funny. Something. And it's amazing because he's so young and then you figure out, man, he was that young when he was playing yep. the Emperor. That's some heavy makeup on there.
2: Well, you know, they didn't uh, initially. He was not the emperor in The Empire Strikes Back. Right. It was that I can't think of the actor's name, but he had those weird, like, googly eyes and stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. You mean Marty Feldman? <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> Marty they, Feldman uh, they is the emperor him in, in um, Return of the Jedi.
2: Yeah. But
3: anyway. But still, I, I mean, guy. he was he was a young actor though. Yeah, he was swim- yeah.
0: Jedi was eighty two, right?
3: Yeah, so it's uh, like one year. So it was actually yeah. what a four or years, four years. Yeah, I'm sorry, one year after. uh there yeah, there two, two years after. Let me count on my fingers. Two years after uh, Dragon Slayer. Yeah, yeah, so, okay.
0: yeah. So he was yeah, he was still a young dude. But yeah, it was funny to see him be the the priest, the holy man,
3: the holy
1: man,
0: <laughs> and uh, he got fricasseed.
2: He be- got uh, fricasseed, Yes, fric-a-seed. Yeah, Go Yep Yep. Uh, Okay. Well, I tell you what, let's segue from Dragon Slayer up to the satellite. Karen, take it away.
0: Okay, well, no no, uh, podcast on 80s sword and sorcery films would be complete without mention of the classic 1982 Conan the Barbarian.
2: Conan. Cue music, chief. Get
1: to
0: the chopper. (laughs) With... with, uh, the great Arnold Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger, another, this is another R-rated movie. And, and watching it, I realized, holy cow, yeah, it's an R-rated movie. There's
1: a, a oh, lot yes. of
0: violence in it. There's some sex scenes that I was surprised to see in it because I hadn't seen it in a long time. Um, you know, John Millius made it and uh, Oliver Stone wrote the script. And, you know, they're manly men, so their Conan is a manly man. Well, but-
2: Look, I'll tell you, you. You go to a movie that says Debbie Does Dallas. You know it's not going to be. It's going to you know got an X rating for a reason. You got a Barbarian. It's going to be rated R. I mean that that just goes with the territory.
0: <laughs> well, we'll we'll talk about that with your pick in a minute.
1: <laughs> but this.
0: The the thing about this, I mean, on, obviously, like Schwarzenegger seems, and I know a lot of Robert E. Howard fans say, "Oh, Schwarzenegger's not a good choice," blah blah blah. But I think in the the popular view of Conan that that came from things like Frank Frazetta's paintings or the Marvel comics, you know, Schwarzenegger just looked like Conan, and. I don't know who else was going to play that role at that time. It just was like a a perfect uh, confluence of events, you know? So you've got got Schwarzenegger, and then you've got this cast that's either, like, brilliant or insane casting. You've got James Earl Jones as Thulsa Doom wearing this, like, weird-ass wig and blue contact lenses. (laughs) (laughs) You've got Mako... As, as a sorcerer running around cackling and stuff. You got Jerry Lopez. Jerry Lopez was a pro surfer who was a friend of John Milius. And they said, hey, this, this role is perfect for Jerry Lopez. Sure, of course it is. Put him in the movie. Um, sandal bergman she was a dancer but you know she was tall she was athletic so yeah, yeah put her in the movie and and We're, then it,
2: when we say dancer she's she's more like a uh not a ballerina but it was not like a, a
0: like show dancer.
2: she was like a yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: like musicals and stuff and then uh, like at the very beginning you've got william smith big bill smith who had been in all these biker movies and stuff and he's playing conan's dad <laughs> I mean, everywhere you look, you're like going, oh, I know this guy. What is he doing in this movie? Or you're like looking going, who is this person? So the, the casting is just like bananas.
2: Um, Whereas all the other films we talked about up to this point, we had no idea who these people were back pretty in much. the day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. It was mostly unknown. So, except, you know, you had your Ralph Richardson here and there. Sean Connery okay. here and there. Um, but, yeah, you know, they just – this this film, I mean, it took a while to get made. Millies had wanted to do it. They finally got these the rights to do it, but they didn't really use, like, a lot of Howard material. Oliver Stone had some, like, really whacked out script that he put together, and they kind of hodgepodged it uh, into a, a usable script. Um but, you know, I, I, it's a, it's an exciting film, and it's well made. I mean, I have to give them that. The production values are really good. Um, it looks really, really nice watching it. I mean, it looks like a, a high-quality movie, I, and they did spend money on this one. Um, there's a lot of different locations, a lot of different things going on. Um, you get to see Conan's story from, you know, youth. It's a story of revenge and how he, you know, moves through his life Um and progresses as a warrior from a gladi a slave a gladiator to a you know a free a free man and uh, I don't know it's a really interesting interesting story again it's another one of these films that's helped by a strong score by Basil Polidorus. I might be butchering the last name yeah. um,
2: great score
0: yeah it's and it's obviously you know influenced a lot of the other movies that came after it and unfortunately a lot of those movies were just terrible wow. <laughs> but, but uh you know i i think uh schwarzenegger did a you know he did what they asked him to do basically uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know he was not a great actor but he played this stoic warrior and that's that's what they wanted and uh Hey, I, I enjoyed it. I, I hadn't seen this movie in probably, I don't know, ten years or more. I had the, the Oh my gosh. I had the DVDs. They had and I, I pulled it out and I was shocked to find out it was a flipper disc. <laughs>
1: nobody,
0: nobody makes flipper discs anymore. It had Conan the Barbarian on one side and Conan the Destroyer on the other side. And I was just like, That's What funny. the heck?
3: Oh, I thought maybe um, it was one of those flipper discs that had like widescreen on one side and cropped on the other. <laughs> oh God!
0: So yeah, at some point I probably should invest in the the Blu-ray. Um, but uh, you know, it's 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 a very entertaining movie. It's a little long, but uh, you know, very enjoyable. And uh, I, you know, I'm sure both you guys have seen it and you have something to say about it.
3: I'll just uh, say that I did see it back in the day at the drive-in. <laughs> that was the last time I saw it. I don't think I ever saw the second movie, but the first one, yeah, was, yeah, drive-in back in the day, hazy memory.
1: Okay.
0: Well, Larry, uh,
2: I you know I know everyone. They think Schwarzenegger. They think the Terminator. They think Governor of California. He he's Conan. I mean, he he had the physique, you know. Uh, at the time, Lou Ferrigno was doing the Hulk on TV. Um, I think. I'm not sure when they started filming Conan, if it was 80 or 81, but that's about the time that Lou was finishing off uh, his stint on uh, on The Incredible Hulk on, on CBS on TV.
3: Didn't he do a Conan or and maybe he was Hercules? He was Hercules. Oh, okay.
2: But I, yeah. Um, and, and look, I've, I've seen Lou at conventions and stuff. He's a nice guy. You know, he's, he's personable and stuff like that. I don't know that he would have, and I have seen him as Hercules, so no offense, Lou, but I don't know if he would have done Conan justice. I think Schwarzenegger's—I um, I said his physique, but his his accent, his uh, you know his facial expressions. Um, you know, when when they throw him in that battle pit for the first time, and this you know warrior comes at him and just starts biting his neck, he's like, ah. I freaking <laughs> out. That's how I would have reacted too, you know. And he, uh, he, he, he succeeds in that battle pit, and and they start training him and educating him, and you know, um, they're they're trying to um, you know get more you know children out of him, children out of him that are like him. They want more warriors and stuff, so they'll, you know. Um, introduce women to him and stuff. And, and he he covers her with with like furs and stuff. So yeah all the owners of, of the slaves are looking and you know covers her. So he he has respect. I, there's all this stuff that's in this movie. Um, And the music. And, you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the uh, wizard. God, is it Mako? Um, I
0: I, I said Mako, but I think I'm pronouncing it like a
2: shark. I
0: I don't know if it's Mako or Mako, to be
2: honest. Okay, well, uh, great, great uh, uh, wizard in this, or mage, whatever you want to call him. Um, This just, Valeria, I mean... God, I'm not into blondes, but she was beautiful, you know, and and just their their chemistry that they had. Uh, Seeing James Earl Jones as Methuselah Doom, I was just and I hate snakes. So that was like even more, you know, uh, spine tingling. And I don't know, I just I I really enjoy this film. And and when when they get the the jewels and stuff and he's drunk and fall face falls in the (laughs) words, But he's mad at the camel, and he punches the camel out, and it's just oh, such a good movie. I, I own the Blu-ray, DVD. Uh, I got the digital version so I could watch it when I'm traveling on the plane. I, I just – I can't say enough. I have his his sword hanging up on the wall here next you, to me. A do
0: you have the Atlantean sword or the sword his dad made?
2: I have the Atlantean sword. This okay. is the one with – the. To, uh, it looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon, but they're they're meant to be like sea serpents, I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, yeah, this is yeah. this is what he finds in the cave, and he's crying. Right.
0: that that's another thing. There was a lot of great design elements in the movie, and and a lot of that was due to. Um, Ron Cobb, the artist who worked on right. a lot of other films like Alien, too. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a, a unity of design throughout the film when you see like the temples and things, you know, and they have these tall columns with designs on them or the costumes, not that costumes per se, but jewelry or other stuff. It's like. They put a lot of thought and effort and they had, you know, Ron Cobb designing all sorts of sets and swords and, you know, so it seemed like it was a realistic world. It wasn't it wasn't like a like our medieval reality, but it was some sort of reality that you could buy into.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. And I'll admit, I, I was not a big reader of uh, of the novels. I, I did read a couple of the um the comic books, the Marvel comic books. I think that version of Conan in, in the comics is is iconic as well. And, you know, it was different from from Arnold's look. Um, I also love the way, you know, the movie ended where, you know, this Conan, and years later, is king and he's sitting on his throne and, you know, the narration says, but that is a time for another, you know, a story for another time. It's just, man, you know, you you really wanted to have a good sequel. But instead we got Conan the Destroyer. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Segway. Just kidding. <laughs> go, Segway. Go with it,
1: Mary.
0: Go with it.
2: Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's like two different movies. I mean, Schwarzenegger came back for, for Conan the Destroyer, um, what, like two years later, 1984. Mm-hmm. And Richard Fleischer... Ended up directing this one. Uh, the story is by Roy Thomas and Jerry
3: Conway, mm-hmm. um, who we had on the show. Plug plug. Who we had on the show. Um, so Thomas so Conway. I don't
2: know what happened.
0: Well, What's I can tell what? you. I can tell you that that Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway. Well, they wrote the the original script. A lot of the stuff that they had in their original script was taken out because or they were told to scale it down because of Ah. the budget. So they had a lot of stuff like they wanted to have, you know, like this giant demon at the end and they had giant monsters and other stuff. And they were like, eh, we can't really afford it. So (laughs) they had to take a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff out. And years later, they did produce a graphic novel that that was true to their original script so you know there's a plug if anybody's interested what their their original vision was you can go look for that graphic novel
2: that's interesting um maybe it's because of the casting you know the the, we talked about the casting on the original conan uh, other than schwarzenegger and i think schwarzenegger was kind of like a a gamble for them on that because at that point other than pumping iron i mean you know arnold is not the star that he is now um None of them, really. James Earl Jones, the exception, probably. But in this film, they had Grace Jones, who at the time was very popular. Yeah. Wilt Chamberlain. Yes, was that (laughs) Wilt Chamberlain in his only acting role ever.
0: Well, they had a surfer in the first one, so they had to have a basketball player in the second
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, one. Space Jam didn't come out until later, so that's really all basketball players had to do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah being conan and uh and old zombie movies
2: <laughs> <laughs> they had tracy walter as as like the comic relief i mm-hmm. you know he, he played a thief and and at that point why did they replace the I, I i don't know anyway they brought him in um mako or mako came back uh as uh, as the wizard of the mound akiro a and um Olivia Diabo um, played the Sacrifice or <laughs> I don't, Princess, I guess would be the
0: Princess. The title. Yeah. Well, and Sarah Douglas was the Queen.
2: Sarah Douglas was the Queen. Yeah. was uh, from,
0: from Superman Two.
2: Superman Two. Yeah. From yeah, from Superman Two. Um,
0: oh, and you know, one interesting thing I learned watching some videos. um, you? There is another very famous uh, uh, athlete. Well, a celebrity athlete who was in the movie uncredited uh, at the very end when Conan is fighting the um, Dagoth. Dagoth, thank you. In yeah. it, it, it's obviously a dude in a rubber suit, but <laughs> do you know who the dude in the rubber suit was?
2: I I do. I'm a huge fan. Uh, but go ahead, Walker. Who uh,
3: Bob? Do you any uh, guesses? Rosie Greer. <laughs> It's a good guess.
0: Almost. Andre the Giant.
3: Ah, yep. okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. But he wasn't credited in the movie.
2: No, he took no credit for this one.
0: I don't want to get a credit in this, Arnold.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, he may not have wanted to admit he was in it.
0: This was a stinker.
3: <laughs> Even Andre oh, the Giant this. has standards. <laughs> 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 hey,
2: on, Andre the Giant, man, there's a lot of good YouTube videos about, um, you know, other wrestlers, Roddy Piper and, and um, uh, 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 Rick Flair telling stories about going to bars after matches with Andre. And I mean, they're hilarious. Andre took no crap from anyone and, and <laughs> guys larger than life. But I'm, I'm a, I, I love Andre the Giant. I've, I've seen him in matches here locally back in the day and. Anyway, I could go on and on about Andre the Giant. Um so so basically uh the movie starts with Conan um <clears throat> not praying to Valeria, but you know, just saying some prayers for her and, and stuff and uh um uh, Tracy uh, Walter he, I think he was like in the Bob Newhart show or something wasn't he one of the brothers or anything? He, anyway uh, he, he's done like he, he reminds me was... of like Lenny Squiggy you know those kind of characters right he
0: tends to play sort of ne'er do wells yeah you know?
2: yeah so, I, I will say that the names of the characters in this movie I love so a comedy relief uh Mr. Walt- Walter was Malik and and me saying it is not as pleasurable as Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> Malik you know <laughs> uh, broadening the the vowels and the Malik Um uh, Grace Jones, uh, she plays Zula, uh, a, a barbarian of sorts. Um, and then one of my favorite is Chamberlain, Bombata, <laughs> and he's like the guard of who? Uh, well, spoiler alert, ultimately betrays Olivia De uh character, but she's like
1: Bombata, Bombata.
2: <laughs> and Schwarzenegger's like, "Well, Bombata." <laughs> <laughs> Um, the odd things that I, that I find in these films. So this is not as, as serious as the first Conan movie. I mean, there was like dread and there was, um, Danger and you know uh, there were witches and and uh, you know knives and and fire and and uh, this is um (laughs) lots of blood. So this this one I don't know if it was PG thirteen or PG, but they they uh, sacrificed a lot of the uh, gore. From before mm-hmm. in the Conan film, um, so they need to go find this gem, and and the queen's going to send them on their merry way, and they take Bombata, and um, he, we find out that Bombata has secret orders to kill Conan once the gem is obtained. You know, once they find the gem, but it's in this fortress uh, protected by surprise, surprise, a wizard. Um, and so, what they want to do is they want to get a hero uh, to help, but they have to go and and rescue him from a tribe of cannibals.
0: That was one of my favorite parts.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, that was great. <laughs> um, and then that's where you know they they bump into uh, Zula, and uh, she's being she's like chained up and and they're like stabbing at her and stuff with spears and um conan doesn't really say anything he goes there and chops the chain and rides away and zula eventually catches up with them and and um will chamberlain doesn't want her you know to help out i guess he sees how how much of a help she would be and he's trying to sabotage everything because that's a secret you know mission so eventually they get to the castle and they're spending the night to try and figure out how to. the castles in the middle of this lake. And while they're spending the night, the wizard captures uh, the princess, Princess Jenna. And, um, you know, so the heroes have to go to the castle and rescue her. And there's this really cool like mirror thing that's going on in this in this room. And um so his friends are like watching through one of the mirrors but um conan's like battling this like version of the wizard that's you know he can't really uh, touch him with this with the sword it's not a hologram i guess it's like a reflection or something
0: yeah i think it was like his real body maybe was behind the mirrors it was a little weird
2: yeah yeah and then he Finds out that by breaking the mirrors, uh, he starts cutting and damaging, uh, the wizard and, um, you know, by, by breaking all the mirrors, he, um, he kills. And then the couple starts to like sink into the lake or whatever. Um, so they're able to get away. Bumbata. Um, it's kind of like, you know, these people start attacking them. These warriors are alive well, I, I don't know why they're attacking us. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and, and it was really weird because I want to say Olivia Diablo was like 17 during this filming of this movie. <laughs> and she has a romantic interest in Conan. Yeah. And, you know, to his credit, he, you know, kind of rebuffs her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Her advances, and he, you know, he, he, he's still in love with Valeria. So there, there were some connective tissues with Akira and Valeria from from the first film, um but but not not many. Uh, does Maria Shriver so know about quest. all this? <laughs> What's
3: that, Bob? Does Maria Shriver know about all this?
1: <laughs>
2: well, if she's listening to this podcast, she does now. <laughs> So anyway, they, they they go on their quest and and they find the the horn of, of Dagoth and um, uh, Conan rips the horn off of the the Dagoth. Um, they kill him and uh, the queen Jenna, who is now the queen, uh, offers um, you know all of them. A, a part Oh well, I'm sorry. They they get the horn and he kills the evil queen and and Bombata gets it as well. Um, but she offers them, you know, uh, to be part of her her court. And uh Zula's like, you know, offered like captain or something like that of the castle. And Akiro is uh, the advisor. Malak becomes the jester. Malak. Um <laughs> And Conan, that's when he's like, nope, I need to rule my own kingdom. But that's for another story. Dun, 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 dun. dun. It, it, it ends. One of the things I want to say between the two Conan movies that I, that I did like is that um the, the introduction, you know, again, I, I mentioned it for a minute where it's the, the King Conan sitting on his throne. It ends that way as well, you know, but that's that's a tale for another adventure. You know, uh,
0: they, they should yeah. have done it. I mean, they could try to do it now with Arnold, but I don't, I don't know if he could pull off the action scenes as a seventy-year-old Conan.
2: They had him as a seventy-year-old Transformer, or not a Transformer Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> well, with CGI and stuff, and I, you know, they—I don't know. I mean, they
0: might be able yeah, to do it. I, I really wish. Well, the original plan was that they wanted to set this up as a series, just like Bond, and every two or three mm-hmm. years they do a Conan movie, right? But then, you know, after the first one, uh, they brought in, you know, different people, obviously. Like, they brought in Richard Fleischer to direct, and they decided to water it down. And then Schwarzenegger wasn't that happy with the second movie, and he also wanted to try, you know, doing different things. He was starting to rise in popularity. And it it all started to unravel. If they'd made a good second movie, maybe they would have been able to make a franchise out of it, but who knows, but yeah, that King Conan would have been a, a really cool thing or they could even still do it with Arnold as like a framing device, you know, where he's sitting there going, oh, did I ever tell you about the time, you know, blah blah blah, and then they have like a young actor playing, you know, Conan
2: in it, the past yeah, the adventures you know, past adventures or whatnot um at one point, they tried to relaunch the series, didn't they? And it was Jason Momoa, and that stunk. Oh, I mean,
0: I didn't even that see was... that one, but I know... Don't bother. Uh, yeah, that's what I heard. And then the rights went back and forth. There's a guy, I think there's a... I don't know if he's Finnish. Anyway, there's a guy in Europe who owns all the Robert E. Howard estate rights. And uh, there's like a whole story about how he, you know, let Millennium Films... Have the rights for a while, and they made that movie, and it was terrible. And then it went back to Universal for a bit, and they greenlighted King Conan back in like 2012 or something like that. It was after Schwarzenegger was no longer governor, and there was talk mm-hmm. of like, oh, we can do it. And but then after Terminator Genesis, whenever that was, then they were kind of, you know, because that didn't do very well. Then they were like, eh, maybe we're not going to take a chance on on Arnold. So. It just kind of went into limbo, is what I have read. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get King Conan with Arnold. It's a shame. That's
2: just too bad. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, and, and the thing is, is I think the Destroyer, Conan the Destroyer, is a little more palatable, knowing that these are going to be the only two times you're going to see him playing this character.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of yeah. fun, and it's a little bit like a you know the way they build the group. It's like a little Dungeons and Dragons team, you know. Oh, we got the wizard. We got oh, the. Thief, that's a good way of putting it. You know.
2: Yeah.
0: So it's enjoyable for well, what it is.
2: If that doesn't convince you to to pop the uh or uh, stream the the destroyer movie or pop for a DVD, Bob, I don't know what will. <laughs>
3: Well, see, I was listening to your description of the movie. I don't, again, I don't need to watch it now. I know every <laughs> little bit of story from the movie, so I'm good. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, but you don't have the the benefit of the music unless you you listen to this and and play the soundtrack.
3: Well, but. Karen should have been humming in the background then.
2: <laughs>
0: my, my humming well, skills don't do it justice
2: <laughs> well kids uh, I know there's going to be comments that we didn't talk about this movie or that movie uh, I'm sure someone's going to mention Beastmaster 1982 <laughs> classic uh, <laughs> who was written, was written and directed by Don Cascarelli the uh, creator of one of my favorite films Phantasm but that's a discussion for another podcast um Hey, we've reached the point in this podcast where we're going to have our sensor sweep. And this go-around, Chief Engineer Bob, you have something you want to share with us?
3: Oh, hello. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm going to do a sensor sweep on probably the most expensive thing we've done a sensor sweep on. How's that? Ferrari.
1: I'm excited.
3: Stern Pinball and Toho International have come to an agreement and they are releasing a Godzilla pinball machine. Ooh
1: what the fuck? what That's
3: right. And uh, this thing is like yeah, we'll we'll post a link to it or we'll we'll post some pictures. But the play field is just amazing. There's actually three different versions of it. There's a uh, let's see where is it here? It's uh there's the Pro, the premium and the limited edition. <laughs> so um mm-hmm. Let me see if I can find what's uh, on the premium and LE models. Uh, Mechagodzilla features a motorized three-bank target set, which rotates to reveal a spinner and jump ramp. Players will engage in kaiju battle by launching pinballs with the jump ramp and blasting the magnetic ball catch on the chest of Mechagodzilla for multi-ball. But they, they have these... Ex- just basically, all these descriptions of. I mean, I've got the creature from the Black Lagoon pinball machine, right? This was. That thing came out in like 93. And this thing, it just has so many bells and whistles and ramps and things that, uh, yeah, it's just, it just sounds pretty amazing. Not that I'll ever be able to afford it, but. Um, you also have, uh, oh, it says the Godzilla pinball machine also debuts Stern's Insider Connected System, which includes a QR code reader on the bottom arch that enables players to interact with the game and this new ne- and the, this new network in a variety of ways. So it's basically interactive, huh. uh, which pinball machines really haven't been. Uh, there's only 1,000 of the LE machines available. The LE version, limited edition version, includes an exclusive full-color mirrored back glass inspired by Mechagodzilla, Icon custom cabinet artwork, custom high-gloss metallic silver silver powder-coated pinball armor, a custom designer autographed bottom arch, exclusive inside art blades, upgraded audio system anti-reflection pinball playfield glass, which is something I've been wanting to get for my creature pinball machine because i got so many lights around it that they just glare off the glass. I need to get some some anti-glare glass for it. And, of course, the obligatory certificate of authenticity. But uh, this thing is available now. If you want the Pro model, it's $6,899. If you want the Premium model... It is $8,999. And if you want the limited edition, it's $10,499. So So
0: I I guess we're all chipping in.
3: Yeah. If anyone wants to donate to the uh, GoFundMe by Bob, a Godzilla pinball machine fund, um, I'll put that up later. We'll have a link in the show notes. (laughs) But uh, Mm. I don't even know where I would put this thing. When I got my Creature from the Black Black Lagoon pinball machine, my friend that helped me get it, he's like, oh, once you get one, you're going to want more. You can't just get one pinball machine. I'm like, my house isn't big enough for more than one pinball machine. What are you talking about? You'd find a place. Well, maybe, but we'll see. Maybe I'll do a follow-up sensor sweep if I get one. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay, that that would
3: be interesting
0: I just want to know what you're going to sell in order to get the pinball machine
3: <laughs> I'd probably have to sell my truck <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or what? How, oh, how are one you going
1: to move the pinball
0: machine?
3: I would have to sell my truck or one of Debbie's kids <laughs> in order to
2: afford this pinball machine you value those kids, uh, they're they're uh, chief. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, good.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, I'd have to figure out which one's worth the most on the market. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm we're... glad
2: you came to your senses, Bob, and, and you weren't thinking about selling a kidney or a lung. So, congrats.
3: <laughs> no, no. I kind of need those. <laughs> As we veer into Planet
0: 8 after Dark Territory. Yeah. or black market territory.
3: That's right. If either of you find yourself in a bathtub full of ice, you'll know, you'll know what happened.
0: <laughs> and we see a pinball machine.
3: <laughs> and Bob's over playing yeah.
1: pinball.
0: Wait a second.
2: Well, kids, uh, this was a fun episode. Uh, again, listeners, if you want to leave any comments over on our Twitter, Facebook, over on planet8.com, and, of course, our YouTube channel, please feel free to do so. Uh, until we meet again, stay safe. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet Eight. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic.
0: For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet Eight Cast
3: or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet eight podcast we
2: want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode we look forward to your input and opinions until next time this is planet eight signing off end transmission by george he's got it it is the end enough talk
3: Your enemies, see
2: them driven before you, and they hear the lamentation of the women. <laughs> <laughs>